0: All right. Good morning, everybody. Um, So we're in Acts chapter 13. If you want to grab one of the Bibles sitting next to you, feel free to. Um, So we've been looking at different stories through the book of Acts um, as a way of uh, helping kind of root us in our story, our big story that we're part of. Um, As the first followers of Jesus wrestled with stuff in their world, uh, we're learning how to wrestle with stuff in our world. Um, learning from them Letting God speak to us through their story And so um, Acts chapter 13 is the, the first mission trip Okay, so we're going to talk about that But first, uh, I want us to, um, to go back to the beginning of our time together So not, not necessarily the welcome that we, we shared But the welcome video that we shared that's the video that lets you know to sit down and, and <laughs> shut up. And it serves a nice purpose in, in telling us to, to do that. Um, but it also has like words that go along with it that Patrick uh, beautifully videoed uh, several years ago. Um, and uh, I think it's meaningful because it tries to say something about who we are, what our identity is. So I'm going to read it to you. I'm actually going to read to you the, the one that we have on our website, which is pretty similar but a little bit different. Um, And I've got it up behind me. We believe God is crafting a story. A story about creation and redemption and new life. A story that centers around Jesus. That's my favorite part, as Caleb says. A story that centers around Jesus. A story where God's spirit is at work to carry out God's mission in Dallas and around the world. Through us. Through us. We're a community of spiritual families on mission, united to share God's love with those who are disconnected and downtrodden. We invite you to join us as we discover our roles in God's story. Really beautiful words. Um, thank you, Charles, for writing those sometime in the past. Did I write them? No, I think you I think wrote them. <laughs> um, that is really beautiful,
1: right?
2: <laughs>
0: I really think you wrote them. We'll go with that. I'll take credit. Um, uh, two words stand out for me in our, in our welcome video. One is story, which is appropriate. Uh, we are people of, of storyline. And then the other word is mission that comes up. Uh, it comes up again and again. And um, a welcome video maybe is kind of like a resume. Like you put your best foot forward and you say... Hey, this is, this is who we are. These are our values. This is, this is what we want you to know about us. When, you know, you look at the resume and you're like, this is who I am maybe on my best day. <laughs> um, this is who I'm selling myself to be. And so we know that there, there are, are things that are aspirational as we describe ourselves. But I feel like this is, this is definitely who we want to be. This is, who, um, this is how we want God to form us as a community. I think it's a beautiful picture of who we want to be. But when it comes to that word mission, I know we have, some, we have some interesting relationship with the word mission. And for me, at least, so often I feel very incompetent as someone that is a follower of Jesus that he says, I invite you into mission. I felt incompetent. And, and even after we've gotten to do that for a living, incompetent. Um, I know a lot of you too have had questions about mission and about your role in mission, about how do you how do you go about it? How are we a part of it? Um, what does it look like to be storytellers? Should we be storytellers? You know, a lot of people have been have been hurt and traumatized by church. You know, should we even? How how should we even do this? How should we even be part of being storytellers and, and on mission with God? And then sometimes it's like. And what do I even believe about the story? It's kind of hard to be on mission if I don't even know if I believe in the story, in the mission. And I just want to start with saying, that's okay. Like, it's better to be where we are right now uh, and wrestling with who we are um, than to pretend we're somewhere else. Um, But I think that we are coming to understand more about who we are. I think we're growing up. It's kind of like this... um, the reality about adulthood is like we're still trying to figure out who we're supposed to be when we grow up, right? Um, it's kind of a farce that we've got it figured out. And so I think we're growing up into who we're becoming. And one of the reasons that we return to the stories of Scripture is because they help, they help kind of root us in who we are and, and why we're here and what we're made for. And I know I desperately need that. And God usually surprises me when I when I look at the story and he plants little seeds that challenge me and and shape me and uh, make me think. And that I think bear fruit. So that's my prayer as we go into Acts 13. We talk about mission is that uh, is that God can can plant little seeds in our hearts. Um, I'm not going to do an inductive sort of message today where I kind of. Pop my big surprise lesson to you at the end. Um, This is just going to be some observations on the way. And then I want to get your thoughts on the way as we lead up to a time of praying together about mission. Um, So our story begins, the one that Julie read in Acts chapter 13. And uh, if you were here last week, you heard Ted talking about this kind of big first challenge that the church faced internally about. um, It seems like God is doing all this stuff with the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles. What are we going to do about that? And so we talked about that, that challenge that they faced last week. And, um, and so there's a city called Antioch of Syria, and right off the bat, like I, there's a confusing element to this, because the story ends or begins in Antioch, and it's also going to end in a different Antioch. It's like when Julie and I went up to Vancouver, Washington to work with Jen's parents for a while, but we were really headed to Vancouver, Canada after that, and we were telling our family that. They never really knew where we were. They just knew we were in the Northwest with the, the strange people. And... Um, uh, lovely and strange people <laughs> So uh, But we're, we're starting off In Antioch of Syria And I've got a map of You want to fi- pull that up? Boom uh, So you've got Syria Down lower, lower right Where Antioch is And uh, then you've got In the middle uh, Of Asia Minor Modern day Turkey You've got Antioch right Kind of in the middle there That's where we're going to end today That's not where their their First trip ended But that's where we're ending today And so in this first uh, church in Antioch, um, this is really the first time where Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians were together kind of forming a church together. And it's a unique church. It's the first church that in, in one sense really embraces this idea that the good news about Jesus is for the whole world. But what happens is that they've got these five teachers, prophets, that are hanging out together. And uh, two of them are actually, um, by their description and their names, they're actually North African. So there's a little diversity there. There's one guy that grew up with Herod, the the, the king. So he grew up in the uh, buddy of the king uh, of Israel. And then there's Barnabas and Saul, who we're more familiar with. So, so two uh, of our Jewish uh, leader friends here. And they are all uh, together, uh, probably with the church, but those five, that talks about them fasting, and it talks about them worshiping together, and I assume that they're praying together. What it doesn't say is that they were fasting and praying and worshiping in order that God would tell them where to go on their first mission trip. Right? It just says, this is what they're doing. They're fasting, they're worshiping. Um, They are, uh, they're together, just doing the kind of stuff that, They do as people that uh, have been changed by Jesus. And as part of that moment, that experience, the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So I think it's really important. Like this is where the spirit, while they're fasting and worshiping, says, I'm calling you to work. I'm calling you to do something. I've got an assignment for you. This isn't an assignment from the boss, from uh, from Jesus' boss. Um, and I want to kind of stop there and hang out there for just a minute as we look at this sense of calling. I know some of us have gotten to do the something called a calling lab last month, and we can talk about that some too. But this is important to me on two fronts. And the first thing that I noticed is that I think mission is birth out of an allegiance to Jesus as Lord. Now, that, that sounds like good Bible sort of language, right? Um, what I mean is this. Lord means boss. He means ruler. He means king. Um, unless Jesus is, is like my boss in this sense, I'm not going to necessarily get up and change my life and change what I'm doing uh, to go and work for him as an assignment. When I am at First I Care on on Mondays and Tuesdays, Tommy Ballard is my boss. And when he says, go do a test on this person's eyes, I, you know, I stop what I'm doing. I'm going to go do what the boss says. Um, For the first Christians in the the start of Acts, when Peter is talking about what happened, what God's done in Jesus, he said, when Jesus, when God raised him from the dead, he made Jesus both Lord and Christ. So. Christ is the idea of a Messiah, like a savior figure, like Jesus saved us from our sins. But he's also the Lord, which means he's the boss, which means he's going to stand up against the powers of darkness in the world. He's going to stand up against the the kingdoms uh, represented by Caesar and the other powers. But he's also like he's the boss. And so when he calls them to something, it's not really a suggestion. It's not like how I would be if I'm the boss and I'm looking at these. These people worshiping and fasting, I'm like, hey, what you guys are doing is so good. Um, I, don't, I don't want to interrupt, but when you have a moment, I've got some ideas for you. I've got, you got some things I think that are really going to help you out. You're going to have a good experience here. So when you're not busy, uh, I've got this trip planned for you, and I want you to go and try this out. And I think you're going to get a lot out of it. Like that's you know, my ultra-invitational way of inviting someone into the mission. Um, <clears throat> The sense we have here is that there's a calling and then there's an expectation of obedience, that they're going to move in that direction. And I think that's important for us to grapple with because that's really hard. That's hard for me. Um, I think it's hard for people in our context and culture and history uh, where uh, there's a value of liberty is, is really the word behind it, but there's a value of freedom. Like, I am free and no one else is my boss, and I get to run my life how I want to run my life. And, and that's something that I think kind of bumps up against this value of Jesus being the boss, Jesus being the Lord. So when he calls you into something, it's not something that we're like, yeah, I'll get to that when I have a chance. There's a sense of like, okay, you're the boss. I'm going to do what you ask me to do. It also bumps up against, I think, a consumeristic culture where my life is about what I can get. Uh, from it, instead of what I'm going to give, I think it bumps up against our self-protection, where um, I'm going to manage my life in ways that ultimately I'm going to be safe. And if God calls me into a setting or around people where I'm uncomfortable or I don't feel safe, well, I'm, that's going to be a more, much more optional for me because that's, you know, that's pushing me into non-safe categories. You see how that bumps up against all those values that we. We live by. I want to get your feedback in just a second. The other thing I, I see here is that mission is birthed out of worship. This m- mission that they're about to go on is not, they don't make it up out of the goodness of their hearts. They don't strategize and have this big plan. They come up with, with their own intellect and their own uh, desire to see a change in the world and their righteous indignation against uh, the, the Caesars and the evils. Uh, this is a mission of God equipping them for a particular task that they find out about when they're spending time worshiping Him, when they're spending time with, with God. And He gives them this assignment. And I think worship, and I'm not just talking about, you know, if we're going on a trip and we're singing a song as we go. I'm saying this connection, uh, with the One who is sending us. If we're not connected, if we're not in communion, if we're not, in some ways, um, as Emma was saying, uh, meeting him and, and, and meeting God and finding peace in His presence, um, I think that we miss the why for mission. We forget the reason, um, and then I also think that we we miss out on the power uh, of the One who is uh, who, who empowers us into mission. And one of my favorite verses is in John 15, where Jesus says, "I'm the vine." And you are the branches. You're the branches that are attached to the vine. And good news, if you're connected to the vine, um, I promise you're going to bear fruits. It's going to be good. There's going to be good things happening in your life. And I think there's mission and worship that are uh, that resonate with that picture. Then he says, "Apart from me, you can do nothing." And so I think worship, um, mission is birth out of worship, um, and that mission is birth out of Seeing Jesus as Lord. So let me just stop there. I'm I'm kind of digging deep into this this story of them being called. What, what's your response to that? Why? How do you how do you sit with that idea of mission kind of coming out of of worship, coming out of seeing Jesus as Lord? I think
1: this, this is an obvious since you. our why. Right? Yeah. Um, I think if we were to just do missions of obligation, um, obligation changes. Right. That's you know urgency will will set my priorities. But if we have a why that never changes um, and that defines us and I think worship, what what we give our adoration to, um, directs uh, what what we why we, we do something, right? right? That's that's always true, no matter what we're, we're doing. <laughs> <laughs>
3: uh, why do we go? <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think um, yeah, it, just having a, a why of what we're doing, something that that we're oriented towards.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Duncan. New yeah,
2: Testament yeah. uh, scholar Marcus Borg points out that before uh, the Copernican Revolution, in almost every text you find, whether it's religious or secular, uh, the object of the word believe is almost always a person. Uh, I believe in Jesus, I believe in Caesar, I believe in. That belief is fidelity. Mm. It's a committed to. It's only after the Copernican Revolution that we see belief sort of shift into this intellectual agreement of propositional statements. You know, Mm -hmm. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe. Uh, But before that, belief, to believe in someone uh, was fidelity. It was commitment. It was, uh, this is the person I'm going to give my life to and follow. Mm -hmm. Uh, Where now, almost not entirely exclusive not exclusively, but pretty close, we talk about belief as sort of Intellectual agreement right. to propositional statements. Yeah,
0: it's like, what do you want from me? I've said Jesus is Lord. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've have assented to that idea. Yeah, yeah. That's thank you. Yes.
4: Um, I was having a hard time thinking about like just listening to boss, doing what boss says, and then I like was thinking about it. I guess it's whoever I was picturing as the boss. Right. Um, and mm-hmm. when I was picturing like some of my Old bosses, I was like, oh. um, but then I started thinking about like my boss now, um, and I was like, oh, all right, like it's a good boss, like a loving boss, a mm-hmm. boss that you respect, who you, you like. I don't know. So like the relationship with the boss aspect. Mm-hmm. It took me a minute to get through yeah. with that like tension of and just that knee reaction to like boss. I um, remember it. Yeah. So. Um,
0: Thank you for saying that because I, I didn't set up Jesus' boss super well. But that word has some baggage. I love that the, Jesus is Lord. Like the first thing he does is he lives out the life he wants us to live. And then he invites us along and he, you know, and he washes our feet along the way. And that's a whole different type of boss. Yeah. That's good. There's
5: also pretty stark contrast in the time period Mm -hmm. of, like, there are a lot of people that were lords, that were in charge of kings, whatever it was, people were vassals, people were under the heel of someone all the time, and that someone rarely had their best interest at heart. It was a lot of, you know, you pay the taxes, or you bring me this, or you do that. Like, it wasn't a lot of, like, I, I want what's best for you, it was I'm in charge, and yeah. but essentially you'll probably be
0: killed
5: if you don't know what I say, right. which is a
0: fairly like different message than what comes from the religious side of God and Jesus. Yeah, and yeah, that's a great insight, and the you know the the word Lord that they're u- using that's a I mean that was Caesar as Lord, you know that that kind of. Imagination, and so the, the contrast between what Jesus is like versus Caesar, I think, is always uh, in their minds. That's a, that's a great insight, me. Let's move forward. And, and um, what happens in this story is that uh, the Spirit says, Okay, set apart uh, Saul and Barnabas, and then I want you to go. Um, and, and, it just says, I've got this work for you to do, and doesn't really describe it beyond that. And so I think I've written the question down, you know. So where do you, where do you go? You know, what are you supposed to do? Well, Saul and Barnabas, they go down to the coast and they get in this boat and they take it over to the island of Cyprus and they go to this town called Salamis. Okay? Now, what's interesting here is uh, does anybody know um, Salamis is somebody's hometown? Does anybody know whose hometown it is? Bible quiz, Bible <laughs> quiz. Okay. It's Barnabas' hometown. Barnabas grew up in Salamis. It says that in the earlier part of Acts when it's describing who Barnabas is. Um, And where's the first place they go whenever they get to Salamis? Or the first place that they go to as part of their sense of mission? They go to the synagogue. And so this is interesting to me because Barnabas at this point is kind of the leader of the expedition. Um, His name pops up first in the description at this point. And the first place they go when God has called them into mission is Barnabas' hometown, and then to the synagogue in that place, which is the place that they're most familiar with, which they they know how the rules work in the synagogue, when they're gonna be allowed to speak, what are the expectations, what are the arguments, and that's the first place they go. And I find that fascinating, that the first mission trip, you know, when I think of mission trip growing up, I always think of, you know, you're gonna go across the ocean somewhere, right? Some place where you have to learn another language. the first place they go is barnabas's hometown to the synagogue and i think that's really fascinating um, i mentioned this some of us got to this calling lab last month and as part of the calling lab is like you're listening to god where are you calling me at this point in my life and part of that process that we did was it, it was called a narrative analysis and it asked all these questions about where were you born what what uh who did you grow up around what was your education? And then uh, it asked questions about your present life. It said, are you in school? Are you working somewhere? What are the, what are the spaces where you hang out? Who are the people that you're around? And, and then what are the needs that you find in these spaces? And the theme that kind of runs through there is like, God has been preparing you, shaping your life in a way that you're around certain people right now with certain needs and, and in a way that he's connecting these dots in your life. And so often... Mission isn't just something that's way out there somewhere, but mission is something that's right in front of you. It's like uh, the story of Jacob in the Old Testament, where he's on this journey, and he falls asleep, and he has this dream. And in the dream, he sees this ladder going up, and, uh, going up into heaven, and these angels are coming back and forth on it. And he wakes up, and he's like, I didn't realize that God was here in this place. And I think mission's kind of like that, this sense of um, God opening our eyes to what's right around us right here and now. And, and so I, I'm kind of comforted by this, this story to realize, oh, the first place they go on their mission trip is Barnabas' home to the synagogue where they knew what to do and what was going on. Um, at the same time, I have this like, voice in the back of my mind where, where Jesus says, a prophet is not honored in his hometown. And so help me out with that. What do you think about the idea that the where of mission is often uh, like where we're at? right now maybe even our home but at the same time like we may not be honored <laughs> among the people that know us best um, what do you think Jim
4: yeah I kind of wonder if that's just prepping us to be uncomfortable like that the people that we thought were going to be on our side like they're not but like so there's it's other people but like it just it just doesn't really meet our expectations of what we imagined what it was going to be like yeah. because you know just think the familiar is gonna work out, or that our ideas are gonna work out? yeah, so I think they're just saying that like you know you know it's your space, it's the places you are, you know you spend time, and yet
0: there's probably somewhere in someone else, yeah especially if you read the rest of the story and you find out kind of how it goes in synagogues as they keep going from city to city. Yeah. Good. And any other thoughts about mission kind of being where you are with what you're familiar with? I think
3: sometimes yeah. there is a certain glamour associated with it being away. <laughs> you know, it being that obscure place where I don't know the language, mm-hmm. you know, and not with it being around the corner or along the same street that I live there's no glamour associated with that. It's almost like when I think about um, in churches and there are certain positions that are glamorous, so mm-hmm. to speak, where you're up and you're before people and then it's the people that are in the back with the kids or in those hidden places that aren't as um, seen, you know, that's not glamorous. And I think that just comes to, you know, God dealing with our hearts. God, you know, if, you know that, is it coming from a place of worship? It is its origin in worship that I am doing this because this is what God is propelling me to do or am I doing this because I'm looking for work, I'm looking for value I'm running after glamour or am I really running after what I feel like God is prompting me to do I think yeah. it's, it always calls me to question motivation in those moments where you're like mm, this is not what I really wanted to do
0: yeah that's good, thank you yes I was also thinking like well, I'm a person that
4: likes change, so this could just be me. But I um, think a lot of times it's just easier to go into an environment where you don't have a history and nobody knows anything about you and you can just kind of be, like start all over. Um, going back to your hometown um, where you have some sort of reputation already, um, where you likely haven't been similar, <laughs> where people have opinions about you, I feel like in a lot of ways just is harder. Um, you can't run from the things or like kind of bury the things. You can't just, I'm also kind of confident avoidant. So, <laughs> that's, I, uh, I don't know. You, you can't do that if you're going back to a place where people already know you. Yeah.
5: yeah. I think from the like aspect of maybe it's more glamorous or like going somewhere else, I think there's another aspect of like the barrier to entry. Mm. If you're like, I could be doing something today in my town. Not much of a barrier to entry there. So was yeah. yeah. your excuse but it's like, well, we have gotta raise some money, get some tickets, <laughs> and we gotta go down to another continent, we have gotta get, yeah. to stay. like, you don't have to do a lot today mm-hmm. in that case. That happens once a year, or every other year or something, yeah. you can raise the funds and do whatever. So I think that it is, Beyond the just like, oh, it is cool to go to this other place. I think there is also some aspect of like, well, I, you know, we need to do this baby thing, and that takes a lot of preparation. Versus, yeah, gonna head over here this afternoon. And
0: yeah, and it and it creates there's some distance between you and the the people or the, what you're doing, and and then you can leave, right? That's that's good. Hmm. Um, I'm thinking about uh, Terry Willis and, and Daryl last week were talking about this picnic bench that they put up in their front yard as a, in the sense that God's calling them to their neighborhood to invest in their neighbors, spend more time with them, and that the, the thing to do next was to build this, uh, make, make Daryl build a picnic table and put it in their yard. And, um, and this makes me think of the question of what next because in this story, Saul and Barnabas and young John Mark, uh, who's with them, they go across the island and they go in all the different synagogues. And it seems to be going pretty well. They have this weird run in with a guy named Bar Jesus, which means son of Jesus. And Paul's like, you're not a son of Jesus. You're a son of the devil. <laughs> and then um, has the spiritual gift of striking him blind, which is interesting. Uh, ha- the same thing that happened to him in his story. Um, and, and so they end up talking to a proconsul, which is kind of like a governor of the island, and this guy named Sergius Paulus, and they spend this time with him, and then they're like, now we're going to go to Pisidian Antioch. Now, um, they couldn't fly to Pisidian Antioch, and Pisidian Antioch was not, um, it was not an easy place to get to. It wasn't, it was kind of off the beaten path. It's like they, they pulled out their Rick Steves, and they're they like, let's go to Pisidian Antioch. Um, because to get there, they had to take another dangerous boat ride. Um, and then they had to cross this, this mountain range called the Taurus Mountains and go through this area that was known to be kind of dangerous and violent. And the people living there uh, were not safe to be around. And it, part of the, part of the uh, evidence that it was not going to be a fun trip is that young John Mark is like, I'm not going. And he goes back home. And we find out later on that Paul's like, yeah, he deserted us there. And so there was some kind of fear about, hey, going on this, on this next journey to Pisidian Antioch. Um, and, and you have to kind of, again, I, this is not uh, stated in the story itself, but what's kind of cool is that they found all these inscriptions of, of that guy, the governor, and uh, his family. And he has family, uh, and his name pops up in this other place, Pisidian Antioch. And I just wonder, uh, this is conjecture, but I just wonder if they're hanging out together, uh, with Sergius Paulus, and he, in the, our story, has been really receptive to this to this story. And if they're hanging out talking, and he's like, guys, what are you going to do next? And they look at each other like, I oh, don't know, what are we going to do next? Um, and he said, I've got family in Antioch. I would love for you to go and see them. And I just wonder if that's part of the the impetus of them moving into this kind of off-the-beaten-path city. Um, what it makes me think of is in, in mission, when Jesus sends out his disciples, he tells them to look for someone who's a person of peace and a person of peace is someone who says, you know, hey, I kind of like you and I, I kind of like what you're doing um, and maybe opens some doors into new places for us. And so I'm thinking of uh, Daryl and Terry, and I'm thinking of them you know, like having times where their their neighbors are all gathered together at that picnic table and then they go in for the night, and they're like, "All right, what next? What do we do next?" And I wonder if this idea of a person of peace would be helpful to think about, like, where, what, what door is God opening in this relationship? Where, where have we made connection? Who's the person that has invited us over to their house for dinner, and how can we accept that invitation? and Just kind of see where, see where this goes. And um, I think in terms of mission. You know, we take a first step and they're like, "Okay, God, what what's next? And um, I think a lot of times it's it's the answer is in the shape of a person that says, hey, I kind of, you know, they might not say I like you, (laughs) but they might. And but they might invite us into something that shows us some favor. And then we meet more people through that. So um, in terms of what next, I I think about this idea of the person of peace. Um, Has anybody ever had an experience like that or? Um, has seen that kind of played out in your life, where uh, you met somebody and, and that connection kind of opened you into a new world, new relationships. Yeah. I'm just talking a lot, but Yay. I was thinking
4: about this boss. Uh, presently, like I took, like I was teaching last year. This year's my first year as instructional coach, and I like I knew that that was the next step, so like took that step. Um, got this job, and then my boss, like a couple, I don't know, like a month or so into this year, maybe it was like, have you thought about being a principal? And I was like, what? Well, no. Um, but then he sort of like encouraged me in this, and um, I don't know. But I was just thinking about like he just got a principal job uh, for next year, so it's no longer going to be an AP. And he's like, I really want to bring you on as a principal, but I have to finish my program. Um, but it's just that is very much what I see in him is what you're describing and I just think like it, it would not have been anything that I would have thought of I think if it weren't for him like inviting
0: mm-hmm.
4: me into that next step mm-hmm. um, but I would not have had it in for that um.
0: yeah and yeah I think it's just one way of describing something that we we experience um, these people that we experience grace around
3: yeah
0: mm
6: story for me comes to mind, uh, before storyline started, we were in uh, South of Worth in Burleson uh, kind of getting ready and apprenticing for church playing, and um, one of the guys that was part of that church, his name was James, he worked in Mansfield for this government contract kind of business that did this uh, like ultra high temperature coatings for stealth bombers. Um, and one of his coworkers that he wanted to introduce me to, who lived in Dallas, and he knew that we were going to Dallas to help start a church, it was a guy named Raj, who was a rocket scientist that um, that worked at, at uh, this company as a consultant um, in Mansfield. And for some reason, he thought that we should meet. Raj was not a Christian, you know he. Uh, I kind of grew up Hindu in India and moved over here um, and so we met we met Raj through James I remember having lunch with him in Mansfield and, and getting to hear about his philanthropic heart given the background of poverty that he came out of and when we moved to Dallas um, Raj said to us hey um, I really like what you're doing like I, I'm still trying to figure out what I think about Jesus but like I love that you're wanting to try to serve people, and young professionals in uptown don't really have that on their radar all the time. And uh, whoever I know that you would like to know, um, tell me, and I will introduce you. I'll leverage my connections so that you can meet new people. And so as we explored that. He, uh, I found out that he was the president of the Dallas Junior Chamber of Commerce. And our not not present time, but he was on the board, and I was like, "That sounds like a great place. I'd love to get involved." And so I went with him, and he introduced me to all of his colleagues there, and a good number of people that became part of Storyline in those early days. We met through the Junior Chamber. Hmm. It's like the Sergius Paulus thing. Like we were over here, we met this guy. So we, when we went over here, it opened doors of relationships. I mean, that was the brunt of our work in the yeah. first. Few years of storyline was through the people of peace that God showed us, like like
0: Yeah. Um, so that's what that makes me think. Yeah. Of. Well, that's a great story. And I and I think it's important, like you said, he wasn't quite sure of Jesus or everything that you believed, but um, but he was still for you. Yeah. He was behind behind what you were about. And I think that's that can be true uh, of the people of peace that any of us can meet. And hopefully we can be a pe- person of peace too. Yeah, yeah. One, one
2: of the things I love about this concept, because uh, that mid-10 text of sending out 70 and mm-hmm. a of people has been central to a lot of stuff we've done over the years. Um, but one of the things I love about it is it's not about what people don't have, which is often the posture that Christians take moving into um, a neighborhood or culture, like they don't have this, I'm the one who brings it. Mm-hmm. It actually starts with a shared um, neutrality, something of peace that we actually share in uh, I, I love that posture. Right. Uh, right. And, and it trusts that um, we have this shared thing, but there's also other stuff um, that we might discover from one another. Like, yeah. They may have something I don't have. I might have something that they don't have. But yeah. I like that it starts with what do we have in common? Mm-hmm. Um, what's the place of shared teams? I think that's just a, that's a much more good news kind of posture mm-hmm. to the world, I think, than what's often taken.
0: It makes me think that the first experience and mission might be that we receive a gift you know as a part of that That's really something.
3: Cool. I just think that was just a, a really powerful you know concept to think about that because I believe that some often in a Christian church we go in i got yes. I've got the answers i got it all and I just need to go save these people <laughs> you know or, yeah. and, and then we're like okay I can't save these people but i got to you know introduce them to the Savior but the idea as a believer going in looking for our commonality I think that's almost like, you know, it's sad that wow, that's ingenious, <laughs> you know. But so let's go and just meet at a table. Let's go and just find out how we are, and how, even if you're Muslim, whatever you are, let's find what, where we find commonality. I just think mm-hmm. that's beautiful. That we had more of that in the church. I feel like we would be so much more, I don't know, effective, you know, mm-hmm. to this world to really be the thought that we ought to be. Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you. Julia, we you going to say
4: Oh, I just, when you said that about receiving a gift, when we were moving to Vancouver and trying to find a place to live. Which one? Um, <laughs>
0: Vancouver, Canada. <laughs> <laughs> and um,
4: the cost of housing was astronomical. Like, it was any apartment that we went to see, there were at least 10 different people, like sets of people there to look at it. And we didn't, we hadn't even landed in the country. We didn't even have a bank account in the country. And I was sure that night, going home thinking, this is impossible. Like, how are we even going to have a place to live? And then we um, found this one place, went to see it, and this couple that was showing it to us, they just loved us we were real honest about why why we were moving there and what we wanted to do and and they were not well they had some history in the church but had left and um they just really loved us and and we're like we need to get connected with these people and these Mm -hmm. people and this church is doing this and you need to go there Mm -hmm. and you know and that's where we lived for the whole time we were there was in their apartment and they were kind of I don't know, we knew that they were always across the park from us, you know. I felt like if we needed anything, we could go to them. You yeah. know, we didn't see them every day. But then when we turned in our keys when we left, um, we got through their front porch, and it was a really emotional day, and we um, handed, we handed all the keys, and he said something to us, and both of us just started, just started crying. And he looked at us and he quoted scripture to us and said, well, doesn't your good book say? And then just mm-hmm. like, and both of us were like, yes, <laughs> 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 And so like that, that's just, I felt like God used that relationship and there were people of peace the whole time we were there, mm-hmm. even to the very last day, you know?
0: Yeah. So. Thank you for sharing that. Um. As, as someone that admits my incompetencies, I I feel some encouragement when I think about these first, you know, these amazing missionaries that um, they don't have to create mission themselves, but God invites them into it. That they start kind of with what they know and then that they just follow the open doors of the relationships they build. And that's really what the first mission trip looked like. And so that encourages me. I hope it encourages you too.